to Walking Dharma Podcast, the podcast where we attempt to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern-day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. Today's podcast is called Think Good Thoughts, and it's inspired by Yoga Sutra 233. It says, When disturbed by negative thoughts, opposite, positive ones should be thought of. This is Pratipaksha Bhavana. Pratipaksha means opposite thoughts. In Bhavanam, or Bhavana, depending on the context, means should be thought of. So Pratipaksha Bhavanam means opposite thoughts should be thought of. And this is especially relevant whenever we're feeling triggered. Definition of triggered is caused by a particular action, process, or situation. And so the word triggered is often of negative connotation. If something triggers us, it brings up a strong emotional reaction based upon past responses to similar stimulus from the external world or relationships with others. So practicing Pratipaksha Bhavanam is about being willing to see when a negative thought or emotion is arising and commit to do the opposite for the sake of your own well-being and others. One of the first rules in yoga is ahimsa, and ahimsa means non-harming or non-violence. And to practice Pratipaksha Bhavanam, to do the opposite than what you want to do, if it's negative and destructive, or to think the opposite of what you want to think, if it's negative and destructive, allows us to practice Ahimsa, or non-harming. So it's this idea of do no harm, and simply do no harm. Whenever we feel triggered, it's often based on our past reactivities. So if you had a negative experience on a bicycle as a child, up into your adulthood, every time you get onto a bike, you may feel a similar emotional response as you did the time when you had the negative experience on the bicycle. And that's a really simple example of being triggered. Another quite obvious example is practicing yoga. Some people are really averted to doing backbends. Anytime they hear backbends are going to happen in class, they make sure they don't come. And it's not so much that the pose is doing anything to them, because the poses are all neutral, in fact. Whatever meaning they have is what meaning we assign them based on how they allow us to feel. So if someone thinks that wheel pose, which is a full backbend, it's quite strong, If someone thinks wheel pose always hurts their low back, then even when their physical reality has shifted to maybe a healthier low back, wheel pose may well still hurt their low back simply because they believe it will. So whatever we set our mind on more often than not becomes our reality. So if we live our day-to-day life From one trigger to another, meaning we go from being incredibly joyful to incredibly angry to incredibly sad, you may say, well, that's human. That's part of the human experience. And although this is true, 
eventually it's nice if we're not overrun by our emotions. When we allow our emotions to overrun our discernment, it creates suffering within ourselves and it creates discord with others more often than not. So even in the case of relationship, if there's something your partner does that triggers you, it's in both of your highest interest for you to sit with the feeling you're having, let yourself feel it, breathe through it, but then shift it and act in a way that promotes harmony. Act in a way and think in a way about that person that creates bridges rather than burns them. And Osho talks a little bit about reactivity versus responsibility. And there's three phases of it. So reactivity is often broken down as re-in-act-ment. It's whenever we receive an external um, stimulus from a person or an event or a little bit of both. It churns up a trigger within us, which means it churns up a strong feeling within us. And then we act outwardly based on that feeling. And re-enactment or reactivity is always based on our past conditioning. So if you've always felt like that wheel pose, that deep back bend is going to hurt your back, then every time you do it, if you believe it strongly enough, that will be your reality. And that belief that it's going to hurt you is based in fear. So we could say that, okay, back bends create fear within me or you, or whoever it may be doing them, many people, in fact. <laughs> when that person is doing the backbend, that fear will rise up strongly every time until they are willing to catch themselves in that reactive state and bring awareness to it. So instead of reenacting the past, which means that we're always run by strong emotional states and triggers, we can choose to be responsive. And being responsive is often broken down as being response-able or responsible. Being responsible means we are willing to sit with whatever arises within us, discern what serves the highest good of ourselves and also the whole, and then act outwardly and even think inwardly based on what we discern is the highest course of action to create peace for everyone involved. This doesn't always mean avoiding conflict. Sometimes it's necessary for us to speak our truth. Sometimes it's necessary for us to have a strong disagreement with someone to clear the energy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's all unicorns and rainbows and just deny how you feel, cover it over and act like it's all love and light. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's very helpful if we can understand the difference between a reenactment of a past behavior based on past conditioning and a responsive state, which is based on present moment discernment awareness of how we're feeling, and then a conscious choice of how we want to behave, feel, and act. The initial phase 
of reactivity is when we have a strong reaction towards something. I always like to use driving as an example. Let's say someone cuts you off in traffic and every time it happens you get really angry and you start yelling and cursing and you take it as a personal attack. That's quite simply being reactive. But if you've committed to starting to identify the difference between a reactive and a responsive state, then you can notice later how you feel and you can say, you know what, all that anger I had because the person cut me off, it was unnecessary. I didn't need to feel that anger. And you simply notice and note to yourself, wow, I had a strong reaction. I'll commit to being a little bit more mindful next time. And if not for the other person, do it for yourself. Or if that doesn't resonate, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for the other person. Either way, our ability to discern strong reactions, even after they arise, is our ability to bring more awareness into how we behave. The second phase of moving from a reactive state to a responsive state is whenever we receive the same stimulus that would trigger us, take the example of someone cutting us off in traffic. Let's say you're on the highway a few days later or a few months later and someone cuts you off on traffic and nearly causes an accident, but doesn't. You might notice to yourself that you still feel that anger reaction rise within you. But instead of flailing your hands and flipping them the bird and going through the whole rigmarole of whatever road rage entails, you take a few deep breaths. In those, in those few deep breaths, there is this willingness to sit with what you're feeling, which in this case would be anger. Let it be there without trying to change it. But simply be willing to breathe instead until that anger falls away and you can go on with your day. And this is a direct practice of pratipaksha bhavanam, the willing to do the opposite than what was thought of. So you might still feel that reactive state rising up within you, but it doesn't have so much power over you anymore. Take, for example, in the deep backbend. If you start to notice when fear is arising, when you do that deep backbend, and instead of avoiding it altogether, or lifting up and lowering down in three seconds, if you just commit yourself to breathing deeply in it, in a safe range for your body, and letting the fear be there, suddenly the fear will start to fall away. If you bring awareness to what triggers you, and you bring awareness to what causes a strong emotional reaction in you, suddenly that reaction doesn't have the same power over you. You become a little bit more sovereign. You become a little bit more independent of your emotions because you're willing to move into that watchful witnessing state within yourself to see the reaction rise and instead of acting outwardly, meaning lowering out of the back bin or flicking the person off who cuts you off on the highway, you simply notice the reaction rising. And you don't throw it out. You don't project it out onto anyone else. 
And projection is basically whenever we feel an uncomfortable emotion and we're looking for someone to blame. And we'll often blame the people closest to us, either in vicinity, like, for example, on the highway, the person who cuts you off, we want to blame them for creating the anger, rather than acknowledging the anger existed within us already as a potential. And all it took was a small gesture to bring it up. So projection is where we want to blame others for our feelings. And oftentimes when people are projectile, they will say, you made me feel this way. Or this backbend makes me feel this way. And yes, it's true. Sometimes that backbend does make your low back feel a little bit tight. But my question is, what was the condition of your low back before you did the backbend? First of all, was it actually appropriate to do it? So that takes the blatant physical aspect out of it. But also, what were your thoughts when you were doing the backbend? If you are telling yourself, this is excruciating, I suck at this, I hate this, it's no surprise why your low back is hurting. Because instead of breathing and being aware so you know when to stop, you know how far to go so you don't go to that pain threshold, you're there ruminating about how much it sucks and how much you hate it. That's from a past experience. For example, maybe years ago you had a bad experience doing wheel pose. Even if your body has totally transformed from your practice, if you still carry that belief that wheel is a bad experience for you, it doesn't matter how advanced you get. It will always be a bad experience because you're not being present. You keep feeding those old reactive states. And when you feed a reaction, it often gets stronger over time. So if when you do that wheel pose, if you commit to saying, okay, well, I can't do wheel because it hurts me, but I can do bridge and I can feel my thighs burning and I can feel my feet rooted into the earth and my breath rising in my belly, then naturally you start to clear out your strong reaction with backbends. And for those of you who may or may not know, bridge mimics the lower body position of wheel which is a deeper backbend, but they're related. So just by being willing to dabble in the preparatory movement of the backbend and bring awareness to it, starts to remove the trigger or the triggered emotional state one may feel in the backbend. But the key is to not push the strong emotion away or shove it down because that will only create an explosive situation one fine day. The key is to sit with whatever is arising within you, witness it from the vantage point of your own awareness. And just as easily as that trigger rises, it can also drop by your willingness to accept it as it is. Eventually, over time, if you work with this long enough, you can do a million wheel poses, or maybe not a million because that's crazy. Maybe five. Maybe ten if you're really nuts in one practice. And not feel any fear at all. This is actually an interesting metaphor for me. 
When I was learning how to drop back into wheel and stand up from it, I felt so much fear. You would have thought I was going to drop back and go down through the floor into a bottomless pit. I could never feel my feet on the earth, and I couldn't find the mobility in my spine to lift up from my grounding. And so every time I would try to do these wheel dropbacks, I would feel extreme fear. And that extreme fear would actually lock my back up further. And here's the perspective. I have and have always had a very open backbending practice. So what was happening in my body was not strictly limited to my physical limitations. It was actually a mental limitation I was placing on the movement pattern. And the more I fed the belief that I wasn't safe doing it, the more I would prove myself right. I would try to drop back and fall on my butt. Or I'd try to drop back, land it, and then hit my head on the floor. And I formed this belief that dropping back wasn't safe. Eventually, over some years of practice, not even trying to hit it that hard, but just letting it rise and fall when it did, attempting to drop back, using props and the like, Eventually, I worked through my fear with it. I worked through my strong reactive state, and I became able to drop back into the backbend and stand up. And it was the beautiful scenario for me of seeing how if we just sit with things long enough and approach them in a methodical, mindful way, then these strong emotional reactions that trigger us and tend to run our behavior, meaning if you have fear, you avoid things. If something makes you anger, you might avoid interacting in that way. If we're willing to sit with those responses, have the courage to let them rise and still face whatever we need to face in our day-to-day lives, then suddenly those strong reactive states vanish. Take, for example, me dropping back into wheel. Now, 15 years into my yoga practice, dropping back and standing up into wheel is my favorite movement pattern. It brings me so much joy. Every time I practice, I always do it because it feels like it opens all the channels of my body. I feel a sense of trust when I do it. And all the reactivity around the fear in it fell away. I'll even drop back in the dark where you can't actually see where the floor is. You just have to trust. And that's been a profound teaching for me to see that my ability to breathe and be aware created major shifts in my physical and emotional reality. And as you know, the backbend example is just a metaphor for anything in life. So what used to make me jealous, if I simply sit with it long enough, it can shift into admiration. Another example is my partner is a really incredible DJ. And whenever he plays, he has lots of women staring him down, dancing right in front of the stage. And my thought is always like, let him focus. My partner's a really good man we're really connected so I there's no actual reason to feel threatened by this but sometimes it still triggers that in me I want to go up to the women and be like he's trying to focus (laughs) 
you know, like back up, leave him alone. Don't let him like get distracted because we're all human, right? If someone's dancing in front of us provocatively, we can't help but be like, what's happening here? So initially when we were first together, when this would happen, I would really take it personally. I'd be like, she doesn't know about me and she's trying to pick you up and she's disrespecting my space and she's vamping on you. And I would get into the whole thing and it would disturb me. And I wasn't angry about it. I was feeling vulnerable. I was feeling jealous. And jealous over what? Nothing based on his behavior. Simply jealous because other women were dancing in front of the stage. And it was something for me to reflect upon. It's like, wow, I'm really reactive here. Where in my actual reality does this actually, you know, feel threatened? Like, where does he threaten this? He never does. So I started to practice this idea of pratipaksha bhavanam whenever this stuff comes up. Instead of getting jealous that a woman or several women are eyeing him out while he's DJing or dancing right in front of the stage, instead of being kind of in the middle of the room and being a hater, I just go dance by them now. And not in a rude way. And I might still feel that little trigger of jealousy. Like, why are they doing that? Don't they know I exist? Can't they respect our love? That still comes up in my mind. But I know that if I feed that energy, it only creates conflict between myself. And sometimes he and I. But not usually. He understands. It's not always easy. But it doesn't have to be hard. Me feeding that jealousy demon, not a demon, that's not the right word. Me feeding jealousy, there we go, is only creating suffering for me. It only makes it so I'm upset. So I'm feeling abandoned. So by my willingness to go up and dance by the women who are hitting on him, I actually can make friends with them. And if I make friends with them, if that ever arises, it hasn't yet, then suddenly it transforms the whole thing. All of a sudden, those women aren't dancing up there trying to provoke him. Suddenly, we're all dancing together, and it's a good vibe. And this is another example of pratipaksha bhava nam. Because if I actually acted on how I felt, it would create a lot of destruction in my life. So this is where pratipaksha bhavanam is super important. It's when it comes to acting in a destructive way, can we have the mindfulness and the awareness to pause? Take a few breaths or have a drink of water. Sit with how you're feeling and discern, all right, I'm feeling this way. How do I actually want to feel right now, though? And it's as simple as that. You can decide, you know what? I'm feeling jealous. I actually want to feel supported and I want to feel included. Then go do it. Go support other people and include yourself. Take, for example, with the women dancing in front of the stage trying to seduce him. 
When I'm sitting there with my arms crossed, pissed off, I'm no longer enjoying the dance. I'm no longer supporting him by holding space because I'm busy being pissed off or jealous. And I'm not supporting the women either, psychically. I'm, I'm a negative force in their field. So by me deciding one day, you know what, I'm not feeding that anymore. I'm just going to be near them. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be loving and friendly. The amazing thing happened was those women, they don't come up to the stage and dance anymore. Not in that way. Because the way the situation was handled shifted it. And this is the power of Pratipaksha Bhavanam, is that we don't respond to anger with anger. And that can even be within ourselves. If you feel anger rise up within you, that doesn't mean you need to respond to it with anger. It's like if anger is knocking on your door, you don't have to open the door and mirror it with anger. If anger is knocking on your door inside your own emotional response realm, you can choose patience instead. If envy is knocking on your door, you're feeling triggered and jealous of other people's success or other people's abilities. Instead of feeding that envy, feed your ability to support them in their success. Be happy for them, even if it's challenging. It's like when someone else gets that job promotion you were wanting and they come up to you and tell you, I got the job. I'm so excited. I'm sorry you didn't get it. They're being kind. And they're also celebrating their success. And it's on us whether we let that trigger us and be like, oh, good for you. Whatever. Which will only create discord between us and the other person. Or we can say, I am disappointed I didn't get the job. But genuinely, I am really happy for you. And in that way, we're still being transparent with what our truth is in that moment, but we also muster the mental and emotional strength to be supportive. So Pratipaksha Bhavanam is not a necessarily easy practice because it asks us to be in a very emotionally mature state. Yoga Sutra 234 elaborates on Pratipaksha Bhavanam. It says, When negative thoughts or acts such as violence, etc. are done, caused to be done, or even approved of, whether incited by greed, anger, or infatuation, whether indulged in with mild, medium, or extreme intensity, they are based on ignorance and bring certain pain. And the ignorance comes from our lack of awareness. Anytime we act from a reactive state, something that is reenacting a past behavioral pattern, it is based on ignorance, ignorance of the present moment. So by choosing consciously to quell your reactions by being responsive and responsible instead, we are choosing to shine the light in even the darkest shadows of our own mind and emotional body. 
Ignorance is the opposite of that. It can be likened to darkness. It's where we have lots of triggers. And instead of identifying them and working through them over time by attempting to be responsive rather than reactive, it's where we let all the cobwebs of our trigger run our whole life. And so many people live a life of regret because they don't want to be triggered. They don't want to step outside of their comfort zone because that might induce those triggers. And the invitation of being responsive is to say, hey, you know what? Step outside of your comfort zone. Let yourself feel those triggers. And key words, let yourself feel them. And through your strength and maturity to feel them, they transform. And how do they transform? It's different, always. But basically, they no longer have the same hold on you. There are many things that I have worked through in my own life that used to really trigger me that now I simply feel neutral with them. Sometimes people say, oh, my husband triggers me when he does this. It's like, but why does that have to be a constant state? He triggered you in the past, but why does it need to trigger you right now? The reason it would trigger us right now is because we're not willing to shine the light on those shadows of our own mind. Trigger implies projection. When we feel triggered, as long as we respond outwardly to that trigger, we are projecting emotions onto other people. So if we feel anger and we are not comfortable with sitting with it, the first thing we do is project that anger onto whoever we perceived is, quote, making us feel that way. But again, nothing can make you feel a certain way unless you give it all of your power. When you realize that nothing can make you feel a certain way, it's all conscious choice or subconscious choice to how you feel then you can decide for yourself how something creates feeling within you. And that ability to decide for yourself how you are going to let something allow you to feel is what we call the responsive state. And until we get to the place where our triggers have dropped around something, it's like moving from that terrified feeling and dropping back to wheel to a blissful one where there's no fear left until we get to that state where whatever used to trigger us really strongly now is neutral for us we practice pratipaksha bhavanam doing the opposite than what is thought of or thinking the opposite than what is thought of so I often tell people if I hear them gossiping or maybe they're gossiping to me about a coworker or a peer, instead of feeding that gossip by listening and going, mm-hmm, oh, I see, oh, I can't believe they did that, wow. Instead of feeding that, which is going to create more of a trigger and more of a reactive state for whoever's sharing it, I will listen and then I'll say, okay, I understand you feel that way. Can you tell me one positive thing about that person? Right in this moment, even if it's your worst enemy, tell me one beautiful thing about that person. 
And it's amazing because it stops people in their tracks and it's not attacking them. It's just saying, okay, I get all that. Can we feel the beauty now? Instead of feeding the ignorance, feeding the cycle of destruction through our own emotional projections, can we see the mirror? Can we see that what might trigger us about other people is actually something we personally do ourselves as well? It takes a lot of courage to do this. My Reiki teacher, Judy Thies, would always say, everyone is your mirror. Whatever beauty you see within someone, it's mirroring the beauty within you. Whatever, quote, ugliness you see within someone, that is mirroring the ugliness, quote, you have within yourself as well. Because every single individual is going to bring up different emotional responses in the different people they interact with. So for example, someone who might be one of my best friends might be someone else's mm, worst enemy, right? It's the same person. What about that person has changed? Nothing. Everyone is seeing life and seeing each other from their own vantage point. So what I love about one of my best friends, maybe she's loud and kind of wild, might really upset someone else who's more reserved, who has always wanted to let that wildness out. And this is something to consider as well. That if you're saying, this person doesn't mirror me at all, I'm nothing like that. Maybe you're triggered by their behavior because deep down you want to be a little bit more like that. So take, for example, with the wild, vivacious friend. She triggers someone who's more reserved and quiet and studious. But perhaps that person who's more reserved and quiet and studious actually wants to let their hair down a bit and be a little wild and go dance like crazy or whatever it is. And maybe that reserved, studious person triggers my wild, loud friend. Why would it trigger her? Why would she feel resistance towards it? Maybe it's because she would like to cultivate a little bit more of that within herself. So whenever I say everyone is mirroring you, they might not be mirroring your present state. But they might mirror a desire you have within yourself to be a little bit more like that. Or not. Sometimes someone triggers us because we really don't want to be that way. And maybe we can say, I'm not that way at all. But if you reflect back, chances are you can find examples of when you behaved in a very similar manner. And again, it takes so much strength to take a look at ourselves in this way. But if we're willing to do it, then all of a sudden, we see ourselves and others, and others within ourself. And that cultivates compassion, that cultivates loving kindness, so that naturally, we start to clear out any clouds of emotional delusion around others behaving certain ways. Because nothing is ever personal. Even if someone is telling you it's about you, just know that to be a projection. 
It is up to each of us to identify that nothing is ever personal. If I decide I'm changing what style of yoga I'm teaching and I tell my teacher that, she doesn't have to take it personally, right? So if I decide I'm not going to teach vinyasa anymore at all and I'm going to shift over to ashtanga yoga only, my teacher, and I'm just making up an example actually right now, my teacher has two choices. She can get reactive and be upset and take it personally that I don't want to teach vinyasa, or she can choose to be supportive and accept it for what it is. Be like, okay, this is the direction you're called. I totally support you in this. And that too is pratipaksha bhavanam, because even if she feels that trigger inside of saying, wow, I'm really upset. My student doesn't want to teach vinyasa anymore. Oh my goodness. She can choose for herself how she responds to me outwardly. She can choose, instead of responding with abandonment and fear-based thinking, she can choose to respond with support and encouragement. And by the way, I will be teaching vinyasa tomorrow morning. (laughs) No worries. Still teaching vinyasa. But it's just an example. Let's say that same teacher experiences this again with another student. Maybe another student she has decides they don't want to teach vinyasa anymore. They want to go teach meditation. They want to go teach restorative yoga only. She can choose to respond in the same way, support and encouragement. And maybe that trigger still rises within her of feeling abandoned. But because she practiced being responsive to when I said I wasn't going to teach vinyasa anymore, She can identify right away that she's feeling triggered and even in a swifter manner, shift her thinking and shift her how she decides to behave. And maybe this happens 10 times over the course of 10 years. Maybe this teacher trains hundreds of people and maybe 10 of those people decide, you know, I'm not teaching your style anymore. Thank you, but I'm moving on. By the 10th person, she might not have any trigger at all if someone decides to leave that style and move on because she has worked through it time and time again. And working through our triggers, it doesn't have to be a lot of work, but oftentimes it is. It's about catching ourselves in a reaction before it derails our train, if you know what I mean. And as we practice catching ourselves in a reaction before we project it outwardly and consciously choosing a response, eventually those triggers drop away and we move into a more neutral space around the things that used to piss us off or upset us. So Pratipaksha Bhavanam, this idea of thinking the opposite than what is thought of in the moment, it invites us that instead of a Instead of avoidance, acknowledgement. Instead of hatred, kindness. Instead of anger, patience. Instead of envy, support and collaborate. Instead of greed, be generous. Instead of withholding, share. Instead of feeling abandoned or abandoning someone out of fear, Hold space. Instead of giving someone the cold shoulder because you're upset, 
make peace. Instead of regret all the things you could have done, take action upon realization of regret, meaning take action now because it's never too late. Even if feelings of regret are there, take action and see what can be done if you have an open heart and trust the process of your life. Instead of disconnecting, dig deeper and connect. Instead of blaming, take responsibility for how you feel. Instead of hiding, shine your light even if you're scared. Instead of procrastinating, out of fear usually, do one thing that moves you towards your goal. Instead of ignoring someone because you can't handle what they're saying, listen. And listen wholeheartedly, even if it upsets you. Just be willing to hear them. Instead of swinging from one extreme to another, one day you're a raw foodist, the next you're a paleo diet, and the next you're a sattvic vegan. Simply be moderate instead. Instead of dividing others because you feel vulnerable or abandoned, bring them together. These are all examples of Pratipaksha Bhavanam. Again, Sutra 2.33 When disturbed by negative thoughts, opposite, positive ones should be thought of. This is Pratipaksha Bhavanam. And the invitation is whether we feel triggered or not to understand that the power lies within us to decide how we're going to feel how we're going to act, and how we're going to carry ourselves through this life. The key thing, though, I want to say it again, is it's not about denial. It's not about stuffing things down and whitewashing them over. It's about sitting with how you feel, but keeping it within yourself and letting it percolate within you and feeling all of the, quote, feels. Feel all the feels, babe. And see what teachings are there for you. Instead of shoving those painful emotions onto others and projecting them outwardly, which only makes them have a stronger hold on us. So the idea of doing the opposite of what you're thinking leads you towards a sense of emotional freedom. Just because you're feeling resistance doesn't mean you let that resistance stop you. Just like that wheel pose even if mentally there is a resistance to it, if you can do it anyway and become aware in it, then you are taking power over your own life rather than letting your emotions run the show. This is called self-control. It's the ability to monitor yourself from the vantage point of your internal witness and be the love, kindness, compassion, sound voice of reason, calm, generosity, listener, healer, mother, father, sister, brother, partner, 
that you wish to see in the world. Because the way we create heaven on Mother Earth starts with how we feel within ourselves and how we choose to act based upon those feelings. So if you tell yourself every morning you're beautiful, you shine radiantly. If you look in the mirror every morning and tell yourself, oh, you look tired, you're probably going to look tired. What we tell ourselves affects our emotional state. So our willingness to think the opposite than what we thought of is our willingness to understand this fully, that what we think is what our reality most certainly will become. The power is yours to decide what that is. I often ask my yoga students, what if everything you concentrated on during the day came into existence? Would you like the reality you created for yourself? And so many times people will say, oh, no, no, definitely not. The reality is, this is totally true. If we continually worry about something, a lot of times our worst fears come true because we have invested our energy into that. Whereas if we choose to pray and trust or simply sit with things rather than ruminating worst case scenarios, then life will show us that it's worthy of being trusted. Our life will show us that our prayers come true. Sometimes it's not karmically in the cards for us. That's another podcast altogether. But it's the invitation to understand that destructive thoughts, emotions, and behaviors dampen our light. They dampen our ability to shine brightly in the world in the way that we wish to show up in the life of our dreams. So as my good friend Claire Smallwood once said to me, what would you dare to dream if success was the only possible outcome? And this is how ideally we carry on. Not only what would you dare to dream and achieve in this life, how would you dare to treat the one you love the most if you knew that they were always going to love you. And of course, we don't know. That's the thing. We don't know. But if we start acting like we do, then we're able to show up fully. We're able to love fully without reservations or holding back based on past hurts. We're able to forgive those who have, you know, hurt us in the past because we realize whatever came up between the two of you or the two of us, it's gone now and we have the ability to discern that in the present moment we can respond with whatever we choose to and why choose anything less than how you would want to show up in the world why choose anything less than how you would want to be treated in the world it runs deep think good thoughts my friends Thank you so much for listening to Walking Dharma Podcast. Aloha. What's that sound? To the waves.
Thank you. 